0: I heard somebody say that you know they were talking about their solar system that they're all off grid and people are so amazed that they they you know have energy for free he's like well i don't have energy for free i just bought 30 years worth right at the beginning <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 108 with Richard Ward. My guest, Richard Ward of Terraform Tiny Homes, has built and lived in three different tiny homes named T1, T2, and T3. These include a converted Honda Element, a very small tiny house built on a converted boat trailer, and a full-size, gooseneck tiny house. Richard's homes are really well thought out, and he actually practices the tiny lifestyle that he helps others achieve through his design work and consulting. Recently, Richard has purchased a tract of land outside of Bisbee, Arizona, where he is setting up an off-grid tiny homestead of sorts and welcoming other tiny houses to come and live. So in this conversation, we'll kind of talk about his whole life journey, his various tiny homes, and then his exciting current project, setting up a permanent property for uh, a tiny house community of sorts in the desert. Are you fascinated by the tiny lifestyle, but not sure if living in one is for you? Relax and let your tiny dreams run wild while you color 15 unique tiny homes inside and out. Coloring is a perfect activity for being stuck at home, especially after you've watched everything on Netflix. The Color Me Tiny coloring book includes a variety of tiny houses on wheels and the beautiful nature that surrounds them. The images all come from real photos that highlight the broad range of tiny house shapes and sizes. Each featured home also includes an interior scene to show what it's like to live in a tiny house day after day. So if you want to color a tiny Vardo on the beach, a cozy tiny house on wheels nestled in the snow, or several homes that feature their four-legged occupants, Color Me Tiny is for you. Color Me Tiny is on sale for just $9.99 and ships free via Amazon Prime. You can learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash color. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash color. All right, I am here with Richard Ward from Terraform Tiny Homes. Terraform Tiny Homes began as a passion project of Richard Ward, an artist and designer turned builder. Terraform started as an attempt to live a sustainable life financially, emotionally, and environmentally. Richard wanted a home he could afford and a life he could enjoy without working 30 or more years to pay off a mortgage. Terraform 1 took nearly two years to plan, but in September of 2015, the build began, and thanks to the SIPS-style build and help provided by Artisan Tiny House, Richard was able to move in just four and a half months later. Over the last several years, Richard has become an expert on small space and alternative living design, personally designing, building, and living in a 32-square-foot Honda Element for five months and extremely mobile 54-square-foot microhome, which he has called home since October of 2017. In 2019, he hiked 1,100 miles over three months on the Pacific Crest Trail, living entirely out of a 60-liter backpack. In January of 2020, Richard started his latest project, purchasing 24 acres in Southern Arizona to start a legal tiny house community of his own. Richard Ward, welcome to the show.
0: Hello, it's good to be here.
1: It's very good to to <laughs> have you on. I, I love that you started with a tiny house and that was actually your largest tiny house. And then you you went too smaller from there. Um, Is there, did you find that the gooseneck was, was too big or was it more like about mobility and, and wanting to build kind of purpose-built things for, for adventures?
0: Yeah. So kind of my, my background is, um, you know, I had this stereotypical white picket fence, um, you know, lifestyle graduated from college, had the good job, da, 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 da. And then kind of in 2013, um, right after I graduated college, got a motorcycle had it for three days a lady was texting and driving and ran me over and shattered my femur and so that kind of was my wake-up call to like I don't want to you know work for 40 years to you know basically retire at 65 and potentially die at 66 if I make it that long and so that was kind of where the first tiny house started the idea was that I would be able to get out of Texas with it which is where I'd lived my entire life But then after a year of living in the big, tiny house, I still hadn't left Texas. So that's when I turned my Honda Element into a micro camper and started traveling across the country. It was supposed to be a two-month trip that turned into five. And kind of one of those things where it was like, I didn't know where I wanted to live, but I knew I didn't want to be in Texas anymore. And after a couple of weeks in the car, I just realized like, hey, you know, I really like this traveling thing. And the big tiny house doesn't let me do that. And so um, I just came back and decided to uh, start building the second tiny house and then lived out of that for a couple of years and traveled the country. So they've all kind of been um, uh, different times and different stories and different needs. And um, now I kind of like having multiple ones because depending on what I want to do at the time, um, I have a house to fit it.
1: Okay, so you still, you still have all three?
0: Yes. Yeah. So um, the big tiny house became a rental house after I started traveling. And so that basically became supplemental income, passive income. The little tiny house I traveled in for a while. And then right now, since I've recently purchased property, it's become a guest house. The big tiny house I'm actually moving back into and then I'm um, currently working on plans for a 800 square foot shipping container house as kind of a more permanent homestead now that I own property and have a legal place to park.
1: That's awesome. So when you refer to the, the little house, you mean T3, the micro home?
0: Yes, yeah. Okay. That's the fifty-four square foot tiny house. Um I've actually sold the Honda Element I lived in and bought a Toyota Forerunner, but I've spent I've decked that out as well with solar panels and water tanks and cell phone booster and bed in the back kind of thing and made it into a stealth camper and actually spent a couple months in that just traveling for fun um two winters ago.
1: Nice. I know the Honda Element has has a cult following for how kind of utilitarian it is. Um do you miss do you miss
0: it? I loved my Honda element. The only reason I sold my Honda element was because it wouldn't tow um, my big tiny, or my little tiny house. It just didn't have the the towing capacity, so I bought the forerunner and um I've loved the forerunner too um just because of you know what it can do uh, but I definitely miss my element
1: yeah I, I actually have a friend here in Burlington who just had to kind of retire his element with 301,000 miles on it um not because like mechanically it's fine but the the frame and body is so rusted that he can't pass inspection and now the <laughs> uh, like his the local shop has basically said we won't work on this cuz it's too much of a liability so um <laughs> he's very they sad just, but yeah they're amazing
0: yeah. Yeah, that in the forerunner too. they like I think I bought mine with over 200,000 miles on it. I have 260 on it now and it it has never had an issue, um, which is amazing.
1: Yeah. And and for you now that you're in the southwest, too, I feel like that's such a much gentler climate on on cars versus the northeast here where we put salt all over the roads and it just rots out your car in 10 years.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) I've never had that issue. I don't do snow very well.
1: All right. Well, I did see, I just saw a picture of you hiking a snowy peak. So that's, so that was your exposure to snow.
0: Yeah. So I did, um, I did three months on the Pacific Crest Trail this last summer. This year was uh, literally the worst snow year on record for the Pacific Crest Trail. We had, I think it was 352% snow or something like that. And so we did uh 6 weeks straight hiking through snow every single day, camping in the snow. Oh boy. Over it was through the um basically like the Muir Trail area through uh Giant Sequoia, Yosemite, uh Kings Canyon National Park, all of that. And I mean we were hiking through 20 something feet of snow any given day and yeah, got caught in a thunderstorm at 14,000 feet in the middle of the night. Uh, with avalanches going down and everything like that. And so after that, I'm like, I'm done with snow. (laughs) I'm buying something in southern Arizona. We may get a day of snow a year, but that's about it. So uh, yeah, I'm definitely more warm weather oriented and heat oriented coming from Texas.
1: Sure, sure. Now was your, um, was T1 already kind of well outfitted for the climate that you've now moved it to?
0: Yeah. So I built Terraform 1 in North Texas. Um, And so North Texas to where we are now in Southern Arizona, Southern Arizona is actually more of a temperate climate than Texas was just because we went from 600 feet in Texas to 4,500 feet in Arizona. So Um, With the SIPs panels, it's super, super well insulated. The only thing that's going to be an interesting challenge is um, now that I'm completely off grid, um, running an air conditioner this summer is going to be an interesting challenge because I've only lived in T1 on grid. So it will actually come here uh, 1st of March or 1st of April, sorry, is whenever I'm pulling it out. And so I'm going gonna, gonna to have to do some modifications to it to get it off-grid-worthy, because it wasn't intended for that originally. But like I said, I've already built a couple houses. I can figure it out.
1: Are you planning to kind of build a little, almost an accessory structure to T1, where you'll house, like, batteries and the inverter and those kinds of things? Or are you going to try to build it into the house?
0: So I actually already have that the, one of the first things um, I did whenever I got to this property was build a little storage shed and that a whole, the batteries and all of that um, actually I actually have a Tesla battery bank. It's pulled out of a Tesla car, which is really cool. And then I think we're running 1100 Watts of solar right now, which will upgrade eventually. Um, but basically I think it was like a black Friday sale thing. And it, they were like 60 bucks a panel. So I bought all of them, <laughs> and uh, so right now, kind of the what's kind of nice about owning property, which I've never had before, is I can build stuff that's permanent. I've always lived in people's driveways. Uh, with the little house I live, either in backyards or mostly on BLM land, on public lands, and would kind of move every two weeks. Truly really limits what you can do as far as permanent fixtures. But this property that I just bought is kind of the forever home. So I, I'm actually able to build stuff out here and keep it and not have to worry about like having it on wheels and having weight issues and all that kind of stuff.
1: That's exciting. Do you do you have to like know somebody who knows somebody to get one of those Tesla battery packs? Or is there like an established way to get a battery pack from the car? Because I know there's there's the Tesla power wall, but I'm I'm guessing that's something different than what you have.
0: Yeah, so the, the um, battery bank I got is it's an actual Tesla battery out of a car. So basically, the car gets wrecked or something like that, and they strip it out. They're readily available on eBay. Um, the one thing that I w- learned whenever I was doing research was look at the manufacturer or look at who's pulling the batteries, basically. And then read reviews and see if they have a warranty. So I was able to find a reputable source pretty easy with a Google search. They had several hundred positive reviews and they have, I think, a two or three year warranty on those batteries. And they, they make sure that like the car was wrecked and the battery wasn't damaged or something like that. It wasn't, they don't pull anything out of a car that has had like electrical issues or, you know, computer issues or anything like that. So eBay is a great source for that. I think, For a 240 amp hour battery, it was like twelve hundred dollars delivered.
1: Nice. So what are the benefits of going with, you know, a, a used Tesla battery versus, you know, buying golf cart batteries or other deep cycle
0: batteries? So Tesla, their their battery technology is incredible for one. And so they're they're kind of on the leading edge of lithium ion. And so lithium ion versus lead acid batteries. Um, you're going to get a lot better discharge. I think you can get down to like eighty something percent discharge where you is, you really shouldn't be below fifty percent uh with the lead acid battery and then also you know it's a big battery it 's two hundred and forty amp hours and it it only weighs about sixty pounds and it is about i want to say like three feet long by like two feet wide by about eight inches deep. So it's a very small battery for the size that you're getting. So for something that's especially something that's mobile, where weight is a big concern, like, you know, the 60 pounds of lithium ion batteries versus several hundred pounds to get that same exact weight or same exact power output for a lead acid battery. And then they'll just last longer. I think these batteries are rated for like 20 to 30 years. So kind of where I'm at right now, starting up on this, my thought is to buy the best that you can buy um, and invest in the front end. And then hopefully in like a year or two, everything will be a lot cheaper. (laughs) Like, I won't have to be spending 1000s of dollars every month to get everything because everything will be established. So I heard somebody say that, you know, they were talking about their solar system that they're all off grid. And people are so amazed that they're they, you know, have energy for free. He's like, well, I don't have energy for free. I just bought 30 years worth right at the beginning.
1: <laughs> right. So what has been uh, your, so, you, so is this Tesla battery going to be able to provide enough juice to run the AC? I
0: hope so. Yeah. Um, I'll need more panels, but I think the battery itself will be enough to run um, in air conditioning. Luckily, we're in Southern Arizona. Sun is plentiful. The worst we've had out here in the last two and a half months was like three days of gray. And so with three days of gray, you know, I that was the only time I ran the battery down um to kind of a scary level, but um I'm not too worried about it. Probably because the the whole idea of this area is that we'll have a community. So eventually I will be doing the a shipping container house, which will be the permanent home. Terraform 1 will become a guest house. Um, currently, I actually bought a RV as a temporary solution because we bought the land in January and then um, Terraform 1 was rented through the end of March. So I had about a three-month period where like T1 wasn't... Or T3, the little tiny, tiny house, wasn't really feasible to stay in. Um, it was still kind of getting repaired. So eventually, we'll have Terraform 1 the RV and then Terraform 3 as guest houses for, um, we're going to be doing what's called Workaway, which is basically a work exchange program. So people come out, they help, you teach them stuff, um, you feed them, you house them, and then they provide usually between 20 and 25 hours of work on the property per week. And it just kind of helps build a community. So the idea is that we'll have the big house and then we'll have multiple tiny houses and then also clearing spots for people to come in and uh, park for a day, a week, a month, whatever they want to do. And either, you know, do work exchange or, you know, just kind of park and be a good person kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And so it, it sounds like you want to create a place where people with tiny homes can, can go temporarily or maybe for long term.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We've had a couple people, a couple van life people come out that are friends of mine and they've stayed for a couple days at a time we've got 24 acres. So it's, it's a big piece of property and it's really gorgeous in the, a little horseshoe of mountains. Um, and we're kind of in this perfect little location between, um, Sierra Vista, which is, a uh, it's a town, it's not very exciting, but they have, you know, Home Depot and all the amenities you may need. And then Bisbee, which is a really cool, artsy music, um, small town, um, and just tons of hiking and stuff. So the idea is that, you know, there's not much out here right now, but the idea is that we bring the people that we want around us here kind of thing nice. and creating a destination for people, uh, whether they're looking for kind of a longer term thing or if they're looking for just come out like a stop on a trip across country kind of thing, come out, enjoy a campfire sort of thing.
1: And what are the regulations like around tiny home living and, and building where you are?
0: Um so we I specifically chose we're in uh Cochise County and what's awesome about here is this is uh they have a thing called the owner builder opt out which basically allows you to opt out of building codes and inspections everything except for your um septic system and so that's why I specifically chose here because I think it was 400 bucks for 400ish for the permit and for the um, uh, septic permits and all that kind of stuff. And what that allows is basically you, you drop a plan of your site map as long as you're 50 feet from your property lines and 50 feet from any wash. um, You can basically build whatever you want without having to have building inspections, building codes, all of that. You're supposed to follow building codes and just kind of like how the tiny house thing is. It's like, Follow building codes, but it's common sense building codes. Like, do stuff that's safe.
1: The spirit of the law, not the yeah, letter. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like do stuff that's safe, obviously, because you're going to be living in it. But like, the reason I bought here specifically was because of that opt out, um, because you can have. I'll be in. I'll be building a shipping container home, um, but you can't actually bring a tiny house out on to land that you buy here put it on blocks and take the wheels off. And that can be a permanent residence, like indefinitely. Uh, you have, I think it's three years to build your home. And in that time you can live. So what we're doing, basically, you have uh, are living in the tiny house legally, um, which is considered your RV, um, even if it's not RVIA certified or whatever, they just kind of consider it an RV. So you have three years to live in that. And then during that time, you'll build your permanent home. And then, as l- I think, as long as you show progress, you can get a one year extension. So, for us, it's perfect because anything's on wheels isn't considered, you don't have to have permitting for. So, that's why we can have like other tiny houses on wheels that are occupied as long as they don't have quote unquote utilities, which um, I think hooking it up to solar and hooking you know, up to rainwater collection doesn't count as utilities because it's not in the grid. And then, uh, we'll have our main house kind of thing, which is permitted, but we can build it however we want to build it without having to worry about having inspectors out and paying all that extra fees and stuff like that. So yeah, that (laughs) sounds pretty,
1: sounds pretty great.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's like the one little loophole that's kind of, um, that I've found that's like a tiny house, little safe haven, um, and land out here is super cheap. You know, you're looking at about a thousand dollars an acre, and it's a really beautiful area. And like I said, really close to Mexico, which is cool. And then you've got some cool little towns all around us. So,
1: did you have to put a septic system on the property?
0: We, I will, yes. Yeah. Um, which that's that's I don't like that <laughs> because we we do composting toilet, um, but just legally we have to have a septic system. They do have options for composting systems, um, which basically you still have to have a septic system for your kitchen sink, which can be as simple as a 55 gallon barrel. And like, I think it's 30 feet of leach line or something like that. So you can do that. For me, having the option to have a septic system and like one flush toilet and just to have the city happy, it seems like it's worth it for me to do that just in case. Later on, I have somebody that's not familiar with the composting toilet come over and stay or want to do it as a rental or something like that. Like for me, it, it will be worth it to have an actual septic system, but uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of one of those things. I, I consider it more of a a like option to keep the city off my back and for you know choices down the line. but we will be using a composting toilet most of the time still so
1: nice um i want to ask a few questions about about t3 um i really enjoyed you know watching some of the videos there's like a video montage of the build and you did some really really interesting things i was curious first if you if you don't mind sharing just what the overall build cost for for t3 was
0: yeah, so T3, um, the approximate budget, which um, includes solar and water tanks and everything, was about $10,000. Nice. Um, so, so it was a very, very affordable build. Um, it was a welded steel frame. I got a used trailer, um, which I will never do again. <laughs> um, yeah, I,
1: I, made, I wrote down, uh, it was a $175 trailer, but then you spent a month restoring it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, it was I basically sh I, it was the trailer itself was $175 off Craigslist. It was just a little old boat trailer. But then I was like, I'm gonna save some money on the trailer. And then I ended up putting like five or six hundred dollars into new metal and spent like a month just grinding in the middle of the summer. And it was just a rough, <laughs> rough build. Um and then I actually last time I was in Bisbee a year ago, I was taking it off down a pretty rough road and um, broke one of the frame pieces of the trailer and basically ratchet strapped it together and got it back to texas and fixed it and then had to drive it back out here so t3 is now retired from the road it's a permanent little guest house out here Um, and i want to build another uh, travel um, house kind of thing but i think next time i'll do a like cargo trailer stealth camper sort of thing
1: okay I was gonna. So um, the welded metal frame seems like it was very very lightweight. Um, what what was the overall weight of of that build?
0: I think it was twenty three hundred pounds. So nice. it was extremely light. Um, the trailer it's a ten foot tiny house, ten by uh, six interior, and so it was very very easy to tow. Like the roof height, I think was under nine feet, and so the idea was that it was kind of like a teardrop trailer meets tiny house um, was the concept behind it. And the reason was I wanted to be able to travel full time and move, you know, every couple days with it. And it worked really well for that. Um, It was kind of meant as a three seasons home. Again, I don't like snow, I don't do cold very well. (laughs) And so the idea was that when the weather starts getting bad, it's not super well insulated and doesn't have air conditioning. And so It would force me to go where there's nice weather because I learned from when I was in Texas. If I do have a really nice insulated house and air conditioning and all that, I'll just never leave Texas even when the weather's bad outside. And then I just stay inside and get sad.
1: (laughs) So is it insulated at all?
0: It is. There's a one-inch foam board insulation, so it is a little bit insulated, but it's not like, you know... Comfortable below freezing or in super super hot weather. Okay, which was kind of the intent. Was again, I it, it was meant to be traveled to good weather, kind of snowbird sort of deal.
1: Got it. Got it. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, you know, for me personally, you know, I I did this big bicycle tour, and that preceded my my desire to build a tiny house. And it was when I you know got back from that trip being fully kind of separated from my normal day-to-day life that I was able to kind of see that a tiny house was what I wanted to do. Yeah. I'm curious, um, you know, it sounds like your motorcycle accident kind of pushed you in a similar way. Like it kind of helped you clarify things. I'm curious how, you know, hiking the PCT or 1100 miles of it, that's a that's a major adventure and a major undertaking. I'm <laughs> I'm curious how that changed your thinking or changed your life.
0: Yeah, so that was uh, hiking the PCT was I mean literally one of the best things I've ever done with my life. It was um, like I said, this year was one of the hardest years to do the trail. Which you you sign up for your permits almost a year in advance, so you don't know this before you go in. But it was kind of one of those things where. The desert was about 700 miles and I, the, before doing the PCT, I had only been backpacking by myself three nights total. And so I was just kind of like, you know, I'm going to try it and do it. And you learned as you went kind of thing, just like, like building a tiny house. I, I like the tiny house was a, a big leap of faith where it was like, I had no idea what I was doing before I started building the first house. Like I had no background in construction or architecture or anything, um, but you just take it. Day by day, step by step, kind of thing, and doing the PCT, it was just you have this simplicity in your life that's really beautiful because your only concerns are getting to your next point. Like, what am I going to eat? You know, it's very, very simple. You'll get. We did, I think it was twenty-three days with going into town once, and during that twenty-three days, we had cell signal maybe three or four times, and that. Going from like uh, my my normal business where I work in like marketing and like it's always chaotic and stuff to just I just got to walk today <laughs> was was an amazing amazing experience and then also doing the Sierra which like I said I'm from Texas I don't do snow and then going six weeks through like the worst snow possible and coming out on the other side of it you just kind of feel like you can do anything. And nothing in my life will be worse than being on top of a mountain at the middle of the night in a thunderstorm with avalanches going around you. That puts life in perspective. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I really I really love the trail and I really want to get back out there. And I finished PCT, and um, also on my bucket list. Hopefully fall will be the Arizona Trail.
1: Nice. And you can always come to, to Vermont and do the long trail.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it's a good one. Yeah, I've heard good things. Um and the the AT's fairly close, right?
1: Yeah, they they act the AT intersects with the long trail. They kind of um split and the AT goes up through Maine and the long trail goes goes through Vermont.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. cool. I haven't explored the East very much. I've always been a West Coast person.
1: Well, do the do any East Coast stuff in the summer and fall and you'll, you'll avoid the snow. Yeah. <laughs> but so uh, back to the kind of the PCT experience, were you like already thinking about buying land when you did that? Or was that kind of a decision that you came to after after the big hike?
0: Um, I think it was so whenever I left um, on my Honda Element trip back in that was 2016 kind of the goal was to find home and I didn't really know where that was. And it took four years, but the idea of like settling down someplace was in my mind before the PCT. the PCT was kind of, I saw it as my last big like adventure kind of thing um, before kind of finding a place to set down roots. That being said, not my last adventure by any means, but um, like kind of that last big push, Things just kind of worked out really well where um, work got really slow. And so I was like, I was able to take on the opportunity to take on the, you know, traveling for three months without cell signal and stuff like that. The other thing was, it was, I wanted to challenge myself to see if I could run a business from the trail, which was really difficult, but it was doable. Um, which was really cool. And so there was there was a lot of different things. And then also, you know, we talk about minimalizing and, you know, getting rid of stuff and figuring out what you actually need. And so I thought that literally carrying everything that I possibly needed um, would kind of help put that in perspective to the extreme, which was, was really cool. It's just, it was kind of one of those things, I guess I boil it down to like, Being able to say that I walked all the way from one end of the country to the other is something that I wanted to do in my life. Uh, And so taking six months to do that was worth, you know, having that story for the rest of my life, which still got to go back and I got three more months on the trail at some point. But yeah, it's, I kind of had the idea of buying land, but I didn't know exactly where. And then came back down to Bisbee, I was here last year and spent about three weeks here and just kind of fell in love with the area and decided to come back and start things so.
1: nice and are, are there are a lot of land available there
0: so where we were, I got very lucky, and so there wasn't a lot of this kind of area people buy land and they hold on to it because it is such a special area, and then the the opt out is a big deal and so a lot of people who want to live off-grid buy here. We, I, spent, I rented a room for about a month trying to find a spot. And just everything that was listed for sale, I didn't really didn't fit my needs. Because the goal is to um, have this be as sustainable as possible. Um, so one thing that was really important for me was to have a big wash, to have access to water. Um, which, if you have a river or something, you're going to be paying thousands and thousands more than if you don't. But we found this place with a wash. It actually wasn't for sale. We, I looked at another place that was just right down the road from here and then went to put in an offer on it. And it was listed for about a week and had already sold full price cash kind of deal. But I talked to a neighbor whenever I was there and he directed me to the guy that owned this piece. And he said he may be interested in selling it and then i met with them and actually bought it just you know owner to seller kind of thing without real estate agent and all that the other thing we were looking at was the purchasing tax liens basically tax lien investing um, so cochise county has a thing where you can see all the tax liens and then basically you can buy the tax liens and then potentially foreclose on a property so kind of what i was doing was Looking online, finding these tax liens, looking on another website to see who figure out who owned it. And then the idea was to, you know, if somebody owned it since 1990 or something, and they had never done anything with it. There's websites where you can find people's phone number, email address, you know, all that kind of stuff. My idea was to reach out to those people directly and say, hey, you haven't done anything with this property in like 20 years. You've got a tax lien on it. Like, would you be open to an offer? Likely never had to kind of go that way because I uh, ended up finding this guy that was uh, wanting to sell half of his land. Um, but uh, you kind of have to get creative whenever you're buying in a desirable area. But like I said, the tax lien investing, uh, I can recommend for people who are looking to buy a couple of years out to start investing in a property. And I, I talked to some people that they got like a $40,000 lot for like Five grand. Um, they had to go through the whole process of foreclosing on it and all this kind of stuff. But if you have the time and the patience, uh, you, you can get some good deals that way.
1: But that's not ultimately what panned out for you.
0: No, we ended up finding a person who, um, just an individual who he hadn't listed it for sale. And uh, I made him an offer and he accepted it. So that was just kind of a, a chance coincidence that we, I found this property.
1: Nice. Well, congratulations. It's <laughs> It's been exciting. I I follow you on Facebook and I've seen some posts about it and it's, it's always exciting. You know, also having kind of always rented a spot for my tiny house, I've never been able to do anything permanent either. So I can, yeah. you know, it's very appealing to be able to really like build, you know, outbuildings and do some cool projects that you just wouldn't do if you had to move them later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like I just got in, um, the soil for my raised beds yesterday. And so it's like, I've, I've never been able to have a garden. I don't really know anything about it, but I was like, yeah, this falls in that sustainable living kind of thing. If I can try and grow my own food and take on that. And then, uh, we'll be doing, I'm. I found access to a bunch of, um, uh, oil drilling gas pipes that were free basically kind of i'm picking those up this next weekend and so i'll be able to build some really good rain rain water collection structures get my welder back out and start playing with that like again like the idea is to have this as a community space and so we'll be building a lot of community spots and uh, with the shipping container house it's nice because you can just shut it up and lock it up and go for three or six months and then come back so Having a place that, like, I've never been able to live in my house, quote-unquote, legally. And so this will be the first place I'll be able to live in my tiny house where I don't have to worry about getting evicted. I don't have to worry about the neighbors getting ticked or anything like that.
1: How how are you approaching the, the shipping container build and how far along are you on the design?
0: Um, so... Basically, I'll be building it from scratch. Um, Like I said, I have some welding experience with the uh, little tiny house. The idea is that I'll have two 40-foot shipping containers on the ground level and then a 20-foot shipping container on the the top level, which will be kind of the bedroom. It's very, very new. Um, I've only been on this property a little over two months now. And so we have three years to build. So kind of the goal is to get in all the community infrastructure. um, We're still hauling in water um, like five gallons at a time kind of thing. Um, So I I need to get those systems in place before I start worrying too much about the shipping container house. I have started playing in SketchUp a little bit. And so I would say really, right now I'm still in the dream phase of um, kind of researching and thinking and all of that. I do, I have found a guy that, They'll deliver the shipping containers. I have a source on it. It's just finding the money right now to, you know, put in the, I'm trying to get a 10,000 gallon water tank, get in the, you know, rainwater collection stuff, get in all those, which is very, very expensive (laughs) right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're setting up a a home in, in the desert.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, we're completely off grid. And so everything is uh, we don't have any any access to electricity. Uh, so we have to do solar for everything. Luckily, the, the Bisbee area, we get 19 inches of rain every year. So it's actually a really wet climate for the desert. And so you do have enough rain to live completely off rainwater. So that's why I'm doing rainwater collection instead of a well system. just because. The well, I, I priced everything out and the well was going to be a lot more expensive. And the well, you get not as good quality water and it's not as reliable and you have pumps and stuff that can break in the future. So I would rather build a giant shade structure and then be able to collect my water just off the of brink, uh, which is kinda, I think is kind of cool.
1: Absolutely. So you said something before that really piqued my interest, which was running your business from the PCT trail how did, yeah. how did that work
0: <laughs> so um i do marketing and design so um now we've actually grown to it's myself and eight other people and uh when i was on the pct before or before the pct like i had a couple people that would kind of help but i had hired a designer before the pct to kind of cover stuff while i was gone and then um basically I had my satellite phone and um, that way I could get a uh, text messages at least in and out anywhere. So if there was ever emergencies, he would kind of cover that kind of stuff. I would get to towns about once a week and go to a library and spend three or four hours on the computer and, you know, respond to all the emails I had to respond to and do all the administrative work I had to respond to. But it was kind of, it was a challenge for me to, kind of let go of my business a little bit and trust other people. Um, and trust some more trust my employees to kind of handle some of our bigger accounts. Uh, luckily my biggest account, they had a a shift in management. So they had kind of dropped down significantly. So I was I was getting enough work to sustain myself, but not not the volume that I'm doing kind of day to day and especially right now. But it was kind of one of those things like I wanted to be able to run a business from kind of more hands off, I did travel to Europe for three months a couple years ago, and so I was able to run my business uh, completely from online from Europe. Um, I had to take a handful of like midnight calls, <laughs> but you know that's just kind of the the price of being abroad and all that kind of stuff. so yeah, like I, I'm all about like passive income and being able to live sustainably. So the PCT was kind of a thing where it was forced me to kind of figure that out a little bit more. And since then, uh, we've grown from three people to eight, uh, which is really cool. Uh, yeah.
1: That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And so it sa- sounds like you have the flexibility to work on the property and setting up those, those grid systems. I suppose if you, you know, if you had to work for somebody else, it just wouldn't be possible to be there to do the work.
0: Yeah, and it's been it's been interesting because we have ramped up so much uh in the last couple months that it's trying to find the balance between working on the property and working on, you know, what makes income. But what I found was like I used to work in agencies um and I worked for a bunch of like Samsung and AT&T and a bunch of big clients. And you'd work 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And then, you know, just add a computer. Um, And once I started building on the tiny house, I was still working in agency. So when I was building my first house, I would go to work all day and then come home, eat, change clothes, drive 30 minutes to my build site, and then work from about 7 PM to about 2 AM and then drive home, sleep for like four hours and then do that again and again and again. Um, And that's, that's how I was able to move into my first house in four and a half months. But I kind of found that like once I quit my job and started my own agency, I liked having that balance between like the mental work that goes into graphic design and advertising and the strategy and that kind of stuff and like the physical work of building. And, you know, yesterday I spent most of the day like shoveling dirt for our little planter beds (laughs) and stuff. And it's exhausting, but like I wouldn't want to do that full time. And I wouldn't want to do like just sitting at a computer all full time but finding a balance where you can still move be active and do some more like mentally stimulating work is really, really nice. That's great. Yeah.
1: One thing that I like to ask all my guests uh, is what are two or three resources that helped you out along the way on your tiny house journey that, that you'd like to share with our listeners? And those could be, you know, Resources could be books, they could be other people, they could be YouTube channels, really open ended.
0: Yeah. Um, so I think one of the things that I tell people that are like looking to go tiny is one of the best things I did whenever I started building my house was engage um, my community. So I, I built in Dallas, Fort Worth, and we had a group. It was uh, Dallas, Fort Worth tiny house enthusiasts. And so it was a Facebook group, and there was a ton of people that wanted to build but just weren't there yet and so basically what i did was reached out and said hey like we're doing siding today if you want to come out help and learn how to do siding, like come out and so through that i met so many people who actually knew what they were doing and like were willing to help and teach me and stuff so like my electric- electrician for my uh, first tiny house Licensed master electrician did everything for free because he had never gotten to design a house from scratch. He was always given plans and he wanted to design a house from scratch. And I was like, do whatever you want. Like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> and so he did three way switches everywhere. And it's like the most complicated electrical plan ever, but he had so much fun installing it and he did it for free. So like, I just paid for materials and, you know, food and beer kind of thing. Nice. So I'd say like reaching out to your community, one, you meet a lot of great people. Um, you, It's so much easier to think through things with a second set of eyes on it. I know I had a good friend of mine that helped me with T3 a lot. And I would say something that I thought was a really good idea. He would repeat it back verbatim. And I'd be like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. He's like, That's what you just said. I was like, yeah, but it sounds dumb when you say it. (laughs) And so just like having that back and forth, he hated that, but I thought it was funny. Like that was a really great resource. The other thing I found that was awesome was a website called if he, And basically you can set up algorithms. I don't think they do it through Craigslist anymore, but they used to where you could put in like, small refrigerator under $200 than 30 miles of where I live. And anytime that resource or anytime somebody posted something that met those criteria, you could have it send you a text message or an email or something like that. So you can respond within 15 seconds of somebody, you know, posting something saying, I'll be there with cash tomorrow. And so that was awesome because I was able to get like, I think it was a $1,300 stainless steel sink for like 150 bucks. I got like all my flooring, like a ton of stuff off of that. And then the other resource that I highly, highly recommend is the Habitat for Humanity Restores. They do, it's basically like, like think Home Depot meets a thrift store. So they get all, all their stuff uh, mostly is donated. They do, I mean, flooring, shelving, sinks, toilets, like any kind of building, insulation, any kind of building material you can imagine. And it's discounted like up to like 90 something percent um, sometimes. So I would, luckily, my big biggest client is Habitat for Humanity. And so I worked on the Restore a lot. And so I did all their marketing and stuff. So I would get their spreadsheet of stuff that was, you know, the next sales for the next six months, and I'd be like, okay, they're doing a sale on window and windows in three weeks. I'm gonna wait three weeks to get my windows. Nice, <laughs> nice. So that worked out really well. <laughs> yeah.
1: So your recommended resources to do the marketing for habitat for humanity. No, I'm just kidding.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> make friend, no, but like seriously, make you friends, can make, yeah. make friends with your habitat restores. Cause I went in and I I did, they they knew me there and um, I would ask them like, Hey, when, when do you put out new items? And It would be like on Tuesday mornings, we'll, we'll put out the new stuff. And so I would be there at Tuesday morning and get all the good new stuff. That's, you know, not taken yet. Nice. Yeah. So I, I, a lot of my stuff, I'm, I'm a big fan of like reusing and salvaging and pulling stuff out of dumpsters and use what you have instead of having to buy new stuff and new builds like so much stuff goes into the dumpster that's just good building material they just bought extra and it's too expensive for them to ship it back so they throw it away there's a ton of resources out there to get really really cheap or free building materials um you just kind of have to know where to find them and yeah making friends with people make friends with the um the lumber guy at home depot the guy that cuts the wood so i made made good friends with him because i would come in like he were, I, I would always on my first build come in in the evening after work and it was always the same guy working and he loved me because um, we'd talk about the tiny house for like half an hour and he'd do all my precision cuts for the big sheet of plywood I'd have to do like 30 or 40 cuts but he liked it because he got to talk about the tiny house and it kept him busy and he actually came out to the first um, tiny house exhibit I did and brought his whole family's like I helped build this. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: That's fantastic. Really great advice. Um, Richard Ward, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. This was a really fun conversation.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much to Richard Ward for being a guest on the show. You can find the show notes, including links to Terraform Tiny Homes and lots of photos of Richard's homes at thetinyhouse.net slash 108. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 108. And don't forget to get yourself a copy of Color Me Tiny, my tiny house coloring book for children and adults of all ages. You can get that at thetinyhouse.net slash color. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash color. The price is uh, a special right now for people staying at home of just $9.99 with free shipping to the United States, and that is through Amazon. So You can go right to the product listing at thetinyhouse.net slash color. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.